Hear, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you, and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly, as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord had proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of the forty days and forty nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant, Then the Lord told me, Go down from here at once, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them into pieces before your eyes. Then, once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for forty days and forty nights. I ate no bread and drank no water, because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight, and so arousing his anger. And now verse 25. I lay prostrate before the Lord those forty days and forty nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. 
I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you have redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. At that time, the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also, make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Then you are to put them in the ark. This is God's word. My name is Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it would be lovely to do so at uh, some point. And if you are joining us, we're in this uh, book of Deuteronomy. And uh, one or two things to explain in a passage such as this. But um, let me pray and then we'll get there. Our great God and Father, thank you. Thank you for recording these uh, stories for us that happened thousands of years ago. So that we might understand your ways better your plan of salvation better, so that we might respond rightly to you. Please speak so that we respond rightly to you in love and obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back in, it was uh, spring 2013, something slightly strange happened uh, on London Theatreland. In uh, one week, demand for tickets went up 200%. Uh, that's doubling in anyone's language. And uh, everyone thought, oh, why is that? Uh, and the theatre thought, oh, why is that? All of a sudden, the, everything's doubled. And uh, the agents, they were um, ticket agents, they were well, a bit bewildered, but didn't really care. Just, <laughs> uh, quite happy with the whole scenario. And uh, it wasn't just one show. It wasn't anything new had been released. Every show had gone up through the roof. And uh, then they discovered what it was. The BBC had published, I think it's gone up, uh, perhaps, the BBC had published its class calculator <laughs> online. This was uh, based on some research done uh, by some people at LSE, I'm blaming you, and um, uh, into British values, and, and, and it classified everyone in the nation into one of seven classes. Uh, what is it about Brits and class? Don't really get it. But anyway, seven classes. And uh, you entered, you answered whatever it was, 50 questions online, and it ka-ching, you are this class. Now, people worked out quite quickly that in the culture section, the way, the easiest way to boost yourself up a social class, or even two, was to say you went to the theatre. And so, because people desired to be higher on the class structure, they bought tickets to the theatre, and then they felt good about themselves, and they gave themselves a higher score. Now, the winners there are the theatres. Because <laughs> it's a pretty bizarre phenomenon. People were buying tickets to shows that they were pretty ambivalent about in order to boost their score on a system that no one else would see but themselves. 
that's a bit weird. But tens of thousands of people did it because we love to compare ourselves to other people. Oh, let's qualify that. We love to compare ourselves to other people and look down. Looking up is a little less pleasant for us. We just do it all the time. On sort of small, banal issues. So I don't know about, uh, did you, if you came in tonight, I don't know if you had a cup, uh, a cup of tea or, or, or coffee. Uh, if you did, I am morally superior to you for I bring my own cup and it is recyclable. So therefore, unlike you plastic polluters of the planet, uh, I am clearly a moral, morally superior being. Well, probably not. But that is the sort of thing that people come out with. In lots of small ways, we love uh, to compare ourselves to other people and look down. But what if it's a bit more significant? What if um, uh, actually government policy changed this week? So much talk of immigration and you know how awkward immigration policy's got. Do we want an aggressive? Just just change it all entirely. Let's leave aside country of origin. Let's leave aside ethnicity. Here's how we're going to do it in the UK. And legislation hits. It's just done by this. Moral people can stay in. Immoral people are deported. How about that? That's all right, most of you think. A bit weird. But what about then if someone says, I am good enough to stay in this country, but I'm afraid you are not. For I am a nicer person than you, and you've just missed the cut. Well, that might feel a little bit more pointed, this sort of ranking of people. But when you come to Deuteronomy chapter 9, the issue of the text is a person saying, I deserve to get into heaven, and they don't. I deserve to get into God's promised land, and they don't. For I am good, I'm better than them, and I'm in. And they are out. How do you get into God's promised land or heaven, you might simply call it? If you are joining us now, then we're working our way through, actually only one more week of this, of, this, of this chunk, but we've been working our way through a little time in the book of Deuteronomy, a sermon then that Moses preached to Israelites uh, around 1400 BC, just before they entered their promised land of Canaan, physical place, uh, you know, Israel. Now, why is it recorded for us? I mean, it's true, the archaeology backs it up, these are real events, but why is it recorded for us? It's recorded for us so that we understand more deeply, better. It's a visual aid uh, for us to understand what it means to live the Christian life. And sometimes we need those things. You know how astronauts train, it's quite hard to, uh, to train people to be an astronaut because uh, uh, simulating space is hard in gravity. But you know how they do it. They, uh, they send most, uh, if you're going to go into space as an astronaut, they send you down to the bottom of the sea or a very deep tank uh, because, and give you weighted boots. And it's a bit like being in zero gravity because you're on the bottom of the ocean and go boom, and then you land again. And uh, if you sort of knock something, ooh, it drifts away. So it's a bit like that. That's how you train them, uh, an astronaut. If you want people in the 21st century to understand 
a little bit about what it is to live the Christian life. God said, well, I, I gave a training ground thousands of years earlier with my people Israel. And when you look back at them and their experience, it'll help you understand, get into your head, what living the Christian life is like. And as I say, the question of this text, the question for them then, and indeed for us now is, how do you enter God's promised land? Physical place then, for us now, heaven, glory. Now, if you have been here, you realize it's quite hard. Uh, back in chapter 6, God said, look, there's one commandment uh, in this book of Deuteronomy. You've got to keep this one, okay? One commandment. There are many statutes and decrees, whole, chapters 12 to 26, absolutely stuffed full of them. But really, there's only one commandment, singular, that you need. And it's this. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your strength or muchness. And they can't. So given that's the criteria to get into the promised land, that's a bit awkward. They can't. And so they've been, uh, you're meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but uh, in these succeeding chapters, we've had uh, uh, the problems and the things that they say. So in chapter 7, verse 17, the, the Israelites said, but we can't, we can't live different from the culture around us. We can't resist them. We can't. Uh, chapter 8, verse 17, they said, ah, uh, oh, but look at my achievements. I, I have achieved all that's good in my life. And again, that will stop you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Here the issue in chapter 9, verse 4, and it's the same little construction in Hebrew. It doesn't get translated very well. It is, do not say in your heart, or do not say to yourself, oh, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this promised land because of my righteousness, my goodness. So chapter 7, 8, 9, these three things that the Israelites were saying or tempted to say in their hearts, all of them stopping them loving God with their heart, soul, and strength. So how do you get in? Well, chapter 9 is very clear, and you could really read in the pages of the New Testament. How will you enter the promised land, heaven? Well, three things. Not because you're good, one to six, because you're really stubborn, seven to 24. So trust in one who pleads for you. Chapter nine, 25 to the end of our reading, okay? How do you get into heaven or the promised land? It's not because you're good, because you're really stubborn. So trust in one who pleads for you. Let's work through it. Uh, chapter nine uh, and uh, the beginning of this text then, verses, let me pick it up at verse three. Chapter 9, verse 3, God says, Ear up, Israel. Verse 3, Be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He'll destroy them, the, the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. He'll subdue them before you. He'll drive them out, annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now, we thought a couple of weeks ago in some detail about the morality of this. If you were here, if you remember, we said, uh, this destruction of some of the people in Canaan, three little things, it was limited Actually, it only takes place in four cities that are recorded. It's judicial. That is, this was God's verdict upon wickedness. Cities where people were sacrificing their own children in order to get better harvests, so they thought. Wicked. So it was limited, only four cities. 
uh, judicial, and unique. It's a unique period or moment in history where this God's people then are entering a physical place. Now that can never be the case because Christians don't have a physical home on he- in heaven. There is no territory where Christians are meant to gather. They are scattered across the globe. Our home is in heaven. So this could never uh, be the case now. Even though it's limited, it's judicial, God's sentence, uh, and unique. But the issue here is in verse 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out, these wicked people, and they were wicked. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Ah, Mr. Israelite says, I get to stay in this land. I get to go to the promised land, physical then, heaven for you and me. I get to go to heaven because I'm better than them. They are Tottenham supporters. I am a Chelsea supporter. I am better than them on every, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. But morally, they're saying, I'm better. We are better than them. That's why we're in. The response, verse 5. Well, don't say that. Because, uh, well, middle of verse 4, sorry. No. It is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. No. Look, here's a response that people make all, or a mistake that people make all the time. I'm not wicked, therefore I must be good. They over there are wicked, whatever your criteria is. They fail to pay their taxes in a corporate fashion, and therefore they are wicked. They over there are benefits cheats, so they are wicked. I am good. A mistake people make all the time. They're bad, therefore I must be a virtuous person. Comparison doesn't do it. Let me uh, share with you, uh, I may have shown this to one or two before, my morolometer. We all have one of these, a little morolometer. It's high budget, we've really blown the budget on this one. Um, You see how it works? Uh, we all have a sort of moralometer, and uh, I don't know how yours works, but it goes a bit like this. So on one scale of the people who are obviously wicked in society, we all think that, so the paedophiles, the rapists, the murderers, uh, not quite as bad, the bank robbers, because um, they're not ha- damaging people, just sort of taking stuff, and if they're stealing stuff from rich people, well, we quite like that. Uh, tax avoiders, we really don't like them. Adulterers, well, it's a bit naughty, but, you know, uh, angry person, selfishness, lustful. No, that's sort of a societal moralometer. Now, where do you draw the line in and out? If you were to decide who gets into God's promised land, heaven, where, where are you going to do in and where are you going to do out? We could all have a go. You should have printed one on your sheets. You could all have colored it in. Um, but, uh, oh, look, it's gone really far down. I didn't know it went that far down. Um, uh, oh, that's clever. Um, where are you going to draw the line? 
I mean, most people don't want the paedophiles, the rapists, the murderers in. Bank robbers, well, I don't know. How do you feel about them? Tax avoiders, maybe they're worse than bank robbers in your view. I don't know. Adulterers, would you exclude them from heaven? Wow, I know. Society sort of stumbles a little bit. Angry person. You know, I, don't, I don't like, well, oops. I, there was that time back in 1976 that I was angry. Um, that's not you, obviously, you weren't born. Um, where do you draw it? When do you make that decision? Just because there are some people worse than you doesn't make you a good person. See, what all of us want to do is compare ourselves horizontally. And we can all find a human who is worse than us and look down on them. But if, as the Bible demands, we compare ourselves vertically with God's moral standards, then we're in trouble. So often we choose not to. We just look around. We look, vertic- excuse me, we look horizontally and then we can feel good about ourselves. Because there's bound to be someone worse than you. If there's no one worse than you in, in the whole of this city, ouch. Um, but you'll find someone. Compare oh, to God's standards, now we're in trouble. For Israel then, back then, it was not their righteousness that got them into the promised land. Just because the people deposed, kicked out, were wicked, doesn't make you good, Israel. You're better, but so what? You're not good enough. Why does God let them in? Still in verse 5. It's on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord God will drive them out before you. Why? To accomplish what? To accomplish what he, God, swore to your fathers, to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. Israel was going to get into the promised land because God had promised. The only way to get into heaven for you and me is because God has made us a promise that Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life and therefore is able to pay for all that we've done wrong and he gives us his perfection and he takes upon himself all our wickedness, stubbornness, sin it's the promise that God makes to you and to me no one enters heaven because they're good it is, I mean I know this is dated now but it has been extraordinary I was uh, uh, the Guardian on Monday had an article about um, headline Stormzy is the political pop hero we can believe in now it's a bit arbitrary I don't know if you like Stormzy and his music and or his politics and or his rant against Theresa May but uh, the thesis of the article is Stormzy is cool so we can believe in him uh, Bob Geldof is a moral prig uh, Bono um, is just too old uh, but, but, but Stormzy we can believe in him uh, and it seemed a bit arbitrary why those two got ruled out, but Stormzy and I, I don't know. But it is extraordinary that they fix on him as one who's been singing, and the song that's done the rounds, of course, for months, is good theology, whatever you make of him. Lord, I'm not worthy. Extraordinary. Uh, So, Lord, I've been broken, although I'm not worthy. You fix me, I'm blinded. By your grace, you came and saved me. 
That is extraordinary that that's been bouncing around the charts for so long. And I take it that the majority of the UK population has no real concept of what that means. But that is good theology. I will get into your heaven. I'm not worthy. I am broken as an individual. But by your grace, you've promised in Jesus Christ that I can come in. That is a solid description of how you get in. Not because you're good, but because God is gracious and he promises There's the first. Let's speed up the pace. Um, how do you enter the promised land? Not because you're good. Uh, secondly, because you're really, really stubborn. And here, here in the middle section, verses 7 to 24, uh, Moses uh, just really labors the one point. You're stubborn. You were never very good. So you can see that's the point. Uh, end of verse 6, you're a stiff-necked people. There's a metaphor, of course. If you're stiff-necked, you never turn, which means you never listen. You just do your own thing. You don't turn to listen to what anyone else is saying. But uh, it gets bracketed by the, this word rebellious, verse Worry, verse 7. Remember this, and never forget. So it's a double, double sort of command. Remember and never forget. This is so important. Remember and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. End of this little section, but it's verse 24. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I've known you. And then he describes the instant with the golden calf. Shortly after Israelites have been rescued from slavery in Egypt 80 years earlier, they've passed through the Red Sea, they're on the way to the Promised Land. Moses is up Mount Sinai. The people have heard the Ten Commandments, they've been given them. Moses is being given the rest of the law. The people get a bit bored and say, We're bored of waiting for this God. This God is boring. Let's make a new God. Let's have a God a bit like the one we had in Egypt. We'll have a massive golden God. One that's visible, tangible, we can see in front of us. So essentially they give God a two-finger salute and say, you're boring. You may have rescued us from being beaten as slaves until we, you know, we were beaten until we collapsed, but we're bored of you. We don't want you anymore. And the Lord says, that's not okay. And so verse 8, at Horeb or Sinai, you arouse the Lord's wrath. So he was angry enough to destroy you. Verse 11, at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, and Moses up the mountain, the Lord gave me two stone tablets, tablets of the covenant. The Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people, Moses, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've turned away and quickly from what I commanded them. They've made an idol for themselves. They're not mine anymore. They're your people, Moses. They're not my people. I can't believe they've done that the context to which God says no, enough, I want them gone a few years ago 20, uh, 2015 it was we don't live in our house any, um, we, uh, as a family we don't live in our own house uh, the, the, we live in accommodation tied to the church uh, uh, we're fortunate enough to still own a flat uh, which we bought when we first married in 2015 we led it out to a new family uh, uh, and um, uh, we were kind, I thought, generous. They were a nice family, so it seemed. Uh, Mum, dad, two young kids. We thought, oh, family, they'll stay. But how long are you going to be here? Quite a while. Uh, so we gave them a good rent and uh, left it alone. Um, and they really misbehaved. <laughs> uh, so the first thing they did, which was a little eccentric, they built two sheds in the garden and were selling pigeons. <laughs> At that point, you think, that's a bit eccentric. 
didn't know there was a big market for pigeons uh, to sell, and it's a bit messy, but uh, and you should have asked to do that. Um, oh, and then they started selling drugs from the premise, premises. Uh, and the neighbors got a bit distressed and, and got in contact with us. And then this family, when they'd walk past the neighbors' windows, they, they were abusive. They'd walk past the neighbors and just... Very threatening. They'd get their... Fr- you know, when they were selling drugs, they'd uh, have, you know, a dozen people stand outside the neighbors' window, just staring in at them until they pulled the curtains. Very threatening behavior. So I tried, of course, to get involved. Hello. I got told to F off repeatedly. Legal letters. And in the end, bailiffs forcibly ejecting them and their stuff onto the streets. And you know what, and it took about a year for this process to run. And by that time, we were pretty hacked off. I wanted them out. They had cost me money, but slightly neither here nor there in one sense. Stress. I knew they'd made life miserable for others on the street. I wanted them gone. And that is how the Lord feels with Israel here. He is fed up with his kindness being met with an unreasonable, I'm not interested in you, by the Israelites. And so Moses gets this, verse 17. I took the two stone tablets. I threw them out of my hands, breaking them into pieces before your eyes. Two stone tablets, both got ten commandments on them. One for Israel, one for the Lord. Here's our contract, as it were. Here's our covenant. No, it's over. I'm done with you. And that's how God feels with people he's created and put in his world to enjoy it. He's very patient with our attitude, dismissively ignoring him. But if we go through life saying, yeah, whatever, 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 we must expect that when we meet him face to face, he will say, I'm done with you. You can get out of my heaven. And I'm afraid there's nothing but my anger for you. And Moses says of this account that took place at Mount Horeb. Do you know that's just typical? So verse 22, you also made the Lord angry at Tabra, at Massa, at Kiproth, Hatava. Verse 23, Kadesh You can read all these stories in the Old Testament. It's just typical of your behavior. Just stubborn rebellion. And so to the person who says, hey, I I morally am better than them, and and therefore I I deserve entry into heaven, and and, and they do not, God says, you know, the most important and one of the most useful things you can do is remember your own behavior. You are not a good person. You are not a good people, he says to Israel. And so if you're here tonight as as a Christian, I hope you get that. It's harder to come to terms with if you're not yet a Christian. But the Christian is, of course, one who says, I don't deserve to go to God's promised land. I don't. My only hope is God saying, I promise you'll get in. It's my only hope. 
The Christian is one who says, no, no, chosen not for good in me, but woken up from wrath to flee. If you're a Christian here tonight, I hope you get that deep in your heart. There is nothing about you or me that God chose us to send his son to die for us. We don't deserve it. At all. And so there is something particularly absurd about this sort of pride in Deuteronomy 9 verse 4. For God's people to say, I'm better than you. You know the old adage, pride of face is vulgar. Pride of race is obnoxious. Pride of grace is worst of all. Pride of face, I'm very impressed with myself. uh, And I'm more impressed with myself than you. No, that's vulgar. Pride of race, my people are better than your people. That's obnoxious, causes all sorts of things. But pride of grace, I'm really proud that I'm a Christian. I'm really impressed with myself for being a Christian. That, That turns God's gospel on its head. It's the worst of all. No, none of us are good. We're really stubborn, all of us, in ignoring God. And so, the hope for them then and for us now, trust in one who pleads for you. Okay? Trust in one who pleads for you. Uh, Moses, uh, um, uh, really, really 9.25 to 10.5, but you get the, uh, the Moses key role in chapter 9. It starts to pip up uh, in verse 14. There's an extraordinary little comment that the Lord makes uh, before we get into the main bit. Chapter 9, verse 14. God says to Moses, let me alone. Let me alone so I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they are. How extraordinary. Moses, I'm going to completely give up on Israel apart from you and start with you. Let's have the nation of Moses rather than the nation of Israel. How about that? It's all about you, Moses. That's quite an offer. And Moses says, no, let's not do that. He pleads, as the Lord knew he would, and he's sort of inviting him in to do. So verse 25, I lay prostrate before the Lord those 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance, that you redeemed by your great power and brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And there are two main appeals, specifically. He appeals to God's promise and God's reputation. So his promise, verse 27, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Same as chapter 9, verse 5, the the appeal was to the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just so here, remember the promise you made to your servants and therefore overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. See, Moses doesn't say, I'll give them another go, Lord. They'll do better next time. He says, no, they're terrible. They're terrible. But remember, you promised. I watched my son play cricket for the school uh, yesterday morning, and um, uh, the school batted first and achieved a ridiculous total, just absurd for schoolboy cricket, uh, and they weren't going to lose. The opposition were... Poor. Um, it's, it's a polite term. Beautiful grounds, though. Uh, and a very nice tea. But the opposition were very poor, and uh, so the first innings total was just ridiculous off 20 overs. You know, they'd be proud of it at the Oval. Um, and so the captain said, well, look, we've got this uh, extraordinary total. There's a chance for everyone to have a bowl. We never get to have a bowl. So tell you what we'll do. 20 overs. Uh, I don't want to, but uh, anyone else, uh, everyone gets two overs. 
Okay? Doesn't matter how bad you are. And so some of the good bowlers are, these little terrible, I'll pick up loads of wickets today. No, no, well, let's just give everyone a chance. So everyone got a chance to bowl uh, two overs. About halfway through uh, the innings, one lad uh, who's the opening batsman, he's a good batsman, he came in to bowl. He was absolutely awful. It's just one of those things you can't quite compute, how someone could be very good with a bat, uh, and yet, I mean, even if you've only seen cricket on telly, you kind of get how it works. You know, even if you've only seen it, you know, even if you're American and think baseball is the thing, um, you kind of get your arm goes, woo, a little bit like that, even if it's bad. And this, he's sort of, you know, he's, he's sort of fairly coordinated, but he sort of shuffled up, and I think he'd been watching Russian shot putters and sort of, <laughs> uh, and then he sort of got this sort of trebuchet action. Um, and, uh, okay, he's only 13 years old, but his one, his one over went for uh, 32 runs. Now, at under, at that age group, that's quite a lot to lose off an over, 32 runs. Um, and it's disastrous, terrible. Uh, and the rest of it, you know, we've got a big total, but, you know, a few overs like that, we'll be in trouble. Uh, a few overs later, he said, can I have another one? And his teammates just laughed and said, you are joking. And the captain said, no, go on, I promised you. I'll do better this time. Probably not. Probably not. Although 32 off, maybe you will. Uh, it's a pretty low bar. No, I'm sure it'll be bad. But have another go. Very decent of the captain. I mean, they had 200 plus on the board. They weren't going to lose. Um, you know, no, no, you, you won't do better, but I promised. That's the principle here. Lord, they're not going to be any better. But you've promised. So... Honour your promise. Remember your promise, Lord. Act on your promise. Again, not that God has forgotten, but he's drawing this prayer out of Moses. So the promise is one thing, and the reputation is the other, the other sort of reason that uh, Moses appeals. It's related. Verse 28. Otherwise the country from which he brought us, Egypt, will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. Oh, look, the, all the Egyptians will laugh at you, Lord, and say you can't keep your promises. No, verse 29, they are your people. Chapter 9, verse 12, God had said, look at your people, Moses. And Moses says, no, they're your people. Verse 29, they're your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. They're yours. Don't let them go. So I don't know how much of the royal wedding you watched yesterday. As, um, I mean, I think the commentators are a bit mean on, you know, they look at, the camera goes to the Queen and Prince Philip and they say, oh, they don't look very amused. They're 92 and 96. I don't know what amused looks like when you're 96 and have just dragged yourself out of hospital. I mean, they're a bit mean on them. But you do wonder, what does the Queen think of her family? Really? I mean, some it's pretty obvious. Uh, Princess Anne, she's given a great title to. You know, she's clearly proud of Princess Anne, made a princess royal. You know, you have to sort of tick. Uh, William and Harry, I mean, presumably there's lots to be proud of, that they're, they're excited. Um, but there is always Andrew, <laughs> who without being mean, you know, sort of lurches from one scandal to the next, and a couple of years ago sort of got a public rebuke from the Queen, was pulled back off a trade tour and told you are not to be an ambassador for this country anymore. It was, you know, that's about as public rebuke as you get. Um, but there he was, front row, with his daughters. Because even though his behavior is unbecoming, she, he is a member of the family. She doesn't cut him off and the offspring off. They're her people. 
And the Lord is a God who makes promises to his people and keeps them. Despite their appalling behavior. He says, no, I promised I'd get you into the promised land and so I will. Despite your behavior. And he says to anyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, you will get to be with me in heaven, the new creation. Despite your failure, I will take you there. In this account, the, uh, there's no verbal answer, but the, the, the answer comes from the Lord in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain, make a wooden ark. I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, then you had to put them in the ark. Okay, let's, the covenant is back. My relationship is restored. Why? Because Moses has pleaded. That's what's made the difference. Now, the Lord knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. He rules over all. He knew that Moses would plead. He's drawn Moses into this prayer. But what's changed circumstances from Israel being cut off, kicked out, never allowed into the promised land, and then allowed to be God saying, you will get in. The difference is Moses has pleaded. Uh, the other day, I uh, was a little late for a Bible study here in the morning. And it's um, got my timings wrong. And uh, so uh, I normally cycle from south, come up through uh, Westminster, and uh, normally just get off, the, get off my bike and uh, push it through Green Park because you're not allowed to cycle in the Royal Parks. Um, whatever, whatever reason. Uh, silly reason. But anyway, you're not allowed to cycle in the Royal Parks. But um, I was a little bit late, and uh, it was 7.30, and so that rule doesn't count if you're running late and it's 7.30 in the morning. And there aren't many people there. So given that the rule didn't count at 7.30 in the morning when there are not many people around to annoy, I, uh, I was just cycled through the park. Uh, apart from there was a couple of people there, irritatingly, somewhat unreasonably, in a police car. <laughs> which is somewhat unreasonable to have driven. I mean, I thought that was much worse to drive a car in the Royal Park. <laughs> And uh, I was sort of head down, I'm going to be a bit late, look up, and then on the pathway, there's a police car sort of five miles an hour coming towards me, you think, hmm. If I'm honest, the first thought that went through my head was, if I just cycle past them and go through the pedestrian gate, they won't catch me. <laughs> I know that's unworthy, but that was the first thought that went through my head. I didn't. I stopped. So great, yeah, great drama. I mean, it must have been a boring morning for them. Great drama. Slowly comes down the window. Good morning, sir. Good morning, officer. Do you know it's illegal to, uh, to cycle in the Royal Parks? I had wondered about that, officer. <laughs> had you seen the sign saying no cycling? I had, officer. Did you know it's an 80-pound on-the-spot fine? No, I, I didn't know that, officer. Ouch, that's, that's quite big, isn't it? Yes. Would you like to give me your details, sir? Could I start off with your name? And at that moment, his mate next to him said, oh, let him off with a warning. <laughs> and so, I like this new policeman. <laughs> Uh, first one goes, no, no, look, we're getting loads of complaints of people uh, biking through the Royal Parks. They ignore all the signs. You know, what's your name, please, sir? 
oh, and then the, the, uh, the, the more handsome policeman turned to me <laughs> and said, um, oh, I'm sure if you were warned this time, you wouldn't be cycling through the parks again at this hour or other hours, would you, sir? Oh, no, officer. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, go on then. On your way. Thank you very much. Well, of course, by which time I was doubly late. Because uh, this whole thing took about ten minutes of, uh, of um, engagement. I was very grateful that there was one there to plead for me. I mean, it's only 80 quid. There's quite a lot of money. Probably more than my bike's worth. Jesus Christ is the one who pleads for us. He doesn't say to God the Father, like Moses does here, overlook the stubbornness of this people, the wickedness and their sin. More than that, Jesus says, I will pay for the stubbornness. A bit like my handsome policeman saying, I will pay for my own wallet, 80 quid, for his fine. Not just overlook it, but I will pay, says Jesus Christ. He says to his father, let me pay for the wickedness of their thoughts and their actions, because we settled on this plan, Father, before the creation of the world. How do you get into the promised land? Heaven, new creation. None of us can say it's because I'm good, because I'm more righteous than them. It doesn't work, because you have to compare yourself vertically with the Lord. It's not because you're good. In fact, we're really stubborn. The only way we can enter into this promised land is to trust in the one who pleads for us. So there is your choice. How do you think you get into God's promised land? I deserve it. No, I'm afraid that doesn't work. I trust in God's promise that in Jesus Christ, all I've done wrong is forgiven. And I'm given his perfection. Of course, you do realize, don't you, that if you, if you do that, and many of us have as Christians, you can't look down on other people. If you really get that, you can't look down and say, we are better than them. I am better than her. You can't do that. You have to get out of the comparison game. But you do get to enter into the promised land of heaven. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we know in our culture, we know in our own hearts, the temptation to say, I am morally superior to them and I deserve more. That is one that lurks inside many of us. And at times all of our hearts have that. We just want to compare ourselves and think ourselves better. Father, thank you that your word is absolutely clear from beginning to end, from Old Testament to New, that not because we're righteous, not because we're good can we ever hope to get into the promised land of heaven, but because of your promises in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven all we've done wrong. 
And thank you that when we stumble and when we fall, it's not because of our goodness. It's not because we're better. It's not because we have the hope of even earning our way back in into heaven with our next day. But because you promise. You promise to get us there through the work of Jesus Christ. And so for therefore, Father, would we trust in him who pleads for us and know the certainty of hope in heaven and the pleasant humility of not having to compare ourselves to others. Would you work that within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.